Yeah, it's on top of that thing. Lindsay, could you bring that to me? Hey, while you're doing that, hey, I want to call April up here. Uh, April had a kind of a fun story to tell, uh, and so I wanted to wanted to ask her. Well, I don't I don't know. Is there anything else you want to tell anybody, everybody, April? <laughs> Is there anything else you want to share? You can you can just talk under that thing. You can read the bagel box, right? Yeah. So if you missed it, we're having a baby. Woo! Yay! That's that's what sharing good news is like. That's it. I am you excited. Wanna, I'm also anxious. You want to tell people about it? Hey, no, we um, really appreciate your support. Yeah. Hey, uh, April, tell us that story of uh, how you were practicing this this corporate fast that we've been talking about during Lent. We we taught we started off Lent saying we're going to have a corporate fast of we're going to stop not inviting people to church. That's what we said, right? Over the next six weeks, we're going to try and invite at least six people. That was kind of like a goal, right, that we had. So, so tell us about uh, something that happened. I one person. Yeah, there we go, one person. There we go, that's good, that's good. I did the thing Kara told us to do. I prayed that God would make it really easy, <laughs> and he did. So I was hanging out with another mom I met on Facebook because we went for a hike together, and it was me, and um, Bethany was there too with her kids. And Bethany had to leave, and so we were all just hanging out and eating snacks. And she's like, so how do you know Bethany? And so I told her, like, technically I've known Bethany, like, my whole life, but because uh, we grew up in Willow Springs. And then I said, and then we also go to church together. And, and she's like, okay, so where do you go to church? And so I told her, and then I didn't even have to go to my car and get the little card because she already put the address in her phone. Oh, there you go. Okay, so. <laughs> and saved it, and I was like. <laughs> there you go, right? So you, you didn't, so you did this. You did this, all right? So we said, we, we had, can we give her a hand? Good job. Making babies and also inviting people to church. Growing the kingdom. Can I also just say, ways. it's awesome. easier to invite people to my backyard for an egg hunt than it is to invite them to a church building. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's real, right? Maybe that that's, helps you. Maybe that's easy, right? So if you want to invite somebody, hey, we'll try to get some of those, um, we'll try to get some of those flyers printed off. Uh, and uh, hand it out on Thursday night. So if you come on Thursday night, we can give you some flyers to hand to people. Otherwise, we'll just do the digital thing. April, thank you so much for sharing that with us. That's such a good, good testimony. I really appreciate that. And so, hey, if you haven't picked up a six-pack, uh, that, that's what this is. I, I know it sounds, it sounds better than it is, right? Like, we want to give you a six-pack, and it's actually just six cards to invite people to church. But hey, this is actually kind of good because uh, this can help somebody get saved, whereas a normal six-pack might not. Um, Here's what you do. Uh, how, how's it going with inviting people to church over Lent? Six people over the course of six weeks. How's that going? Okay. Uh, that, we just want to check in, ask how that's going. Right? Here's what you can do. You can hand somebody a card. That's one way to do it. Or if you're super cool and suave and smooth like April, you can do that and you, you can do what April did and just have the conversation with the person, give them the information they need, and then as you go, you can take this and... There, I count that as one, right? Because, and what we're trying to do here is not shame anybody. We're not trying to make anybody feel bad. We're not trying to do anything like a quota. I'll say something more about that later in this sermon. But we are trying to measure what matters. And the behavior of inviting people into relationship with Jesus is an important behavior for every follower of Jesus to engage in. That's kind of what we're talking about today when we're talking about declaring. And if, 
I know myself, and if I know many of us, uh, some of us are probably feeling maybe just like a little bit uncomfortable right now. We're probably feeling like there's something like, oh, I don't know. There's, there's like something emotional happening that feels a little bit weird or feels a little bit bad about this. Um, and so I want to kind of try to address some of that today. I want to try to just invite us to really consider and meditate. And maybe I'll just meditate on my own problems. Maybe your problems are not at all like mine. Um, but for us to just kind of think a little bit about what is it that makes us uncomfortable when we do this practice, this deeply Christian practice of declaring who God is. I want us to consider that question. And as we do that, I want to look towards the scriptures. Let's take a look at Luke 19 to start off here. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, you always go up to it because it's on a hill. Uh, as, he was, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent, two of his, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks out on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, and peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Would you pray with me? Father, as we remember this time in the week leading up to the events around Jesus' death and resurrection, we remember this moment of irony when people who completely misunderstood you welcomed you in the right way. And where people who wanted a violent king did welcome the Messiah. And they were disappointed and they didn't get what was going on, but it was right for them to declare your glory. And it was right for them to celebrate your coming and to be excited about it and to tell others about it. And so, Lord, I just ask that we would be like those people people who say, save us, you're our Savior, Hosanna, who say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let us be those kinds of people. And God, wherever we're ha having a hang-up about that, would you help us work through that this morning so that your glory and your goodness and your nonviolent kingdom can reign and rule in the whole earth. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I'm going to more or less meditate on some broad themes in the scriptures. I'm going to be kind of using this story and particularly this verse as a backdrop 
you know that when we preach here, we usually try to really pull the meaning out of direct texts and, and relate directly to uh, original sources in the scripture. But I just want to acknowledge that today I'm going to be painting with some broad brushes. I hope that I'm going to say things that are true throughout the whole Bible, but I'm not going to take time to reference every verse that backs up what I'm saying because uh, it just would be too cumbersome. I think, it, it, I think it would be hard. So I hope you'll forgive me for that. Uh, if you think I'm saying anything inaccurate, please confront me about that. Okay. Uh, but today we want to talk about this idea and this practice of declaring. And what Jesus says about his disciples declaring and the Pharisees getting upset about it, saying, you know, rebuke your disciples, he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so the first thing I want us to recognize about this is, and you can find this elsewhere in the New Testament, the gospel will be preached. The gospel will be preached. The good news of Jesus Christ will be preached to the ends of the earth, whether we participate in that or not. And so the question today is not, are we going to go out and save the people that need saving? God is going to save the people that need saving. He's the Savior, not us. But the question before us today is, are we going to participate in that, or are we going to miss out? Are we going to resist it? And so I want to be clear. I want to offer some caveats. You know, I've, I've kind of done this in almost every sermon in this series. When we're talking about practices, it can be easy to get legalistic. It can be get easy for me to be misunderstood as saying you're bad or you should feel guilty or, you know, all kinds of shame and guilt, blah, you know, all that kind of stuff. When we talk about practices, and I think particularly with this practice, uh, there's a lot of shame and guilt that, that is tied up in this. And so I just want to make sure that I'm very clear about things that I'm not saying. I am not saying that we should declare, and when we're offering these tools of measurement, when we're offering these tools that are supposed to make it easier to invite people, this is just a tool, right? Like, you can, you can tear it up, okay? There's nothing sacred or super special about a little card with some information about our church on it. We're not declaring to satisfy some kind of quota or out of a sense of guilt. And I would say, please never, never, ever try to do evangelism or declaring the gospel or anything out of a sense of guilt or shame. If you try to do evangelism, if you try to share good news from a place of guilt or shame, it is not good news that you will be sharing. You're just going to share anxiety. And so I'm not saying to do that. I'm not asking you to do something that you're uncomfortable with or that you are only doing out of some sense of obligation. That is not what I'm saying here. If you hear me saying that today, you've misunderstood me. Don't misunderstand me. All right? I'm also not saying that we should just declare the gospel and not demonstrate. Okay? I'm not saying that we should uh, just be about getting people saved without doing the work of discipleship ourselves and being changed and transformed ourselves or living the kind of life that Jesus calls us to live, or that we are only supposed to talk about the gospel and not also do the gospel in community with one another and in the world around us. You might be familiar with a quote. Have you ever heard the quote, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words? You've heard that? You've heard that quote? Uh, it's, it's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, who was a, a significant reformer. He, he uh, founded an order of monks uh, called the Franciscans. 
uh, and uh, is, is, was, a, was a powerful evangelist. And I think he lived in the 1500s, like really world-changing kind of guy. Do you know he never said that? Do you know he never said, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words? That is not something that he said. You can, you can look at everything that he ever wrote and everything that his direct disciples ever wrote. These things are archived. They're, all, they're available on the internet. You could do a Google search of that phrase, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And you can look at everything he ever wrote or anything that anybody was related to him ever wrote about him and the things that he said. He never said those things. That's a, that's a misquote. That is, that is something that he did not say. He did say something like, if we're preaching the gospel, then we should also be doing what we say. That's, that's really closer to what, what he said. And somebody did a pretty dramatic paraphrase of that. But declaring and demonstration go hand in hand. You could think of this Sunday and next Sunday as kind of like a little mini, mini sermon series. Okay, so like declare and demonstrate. Okay, we want to do both. We want to do both. Today I'm talking more about declaring. Next week we'll talk more about demonstrating the gospel. It's good to have works to back up what we're saying about the truth of Jesus and who he is and what he did for us. That's good. I'm not saying don't also live it out. I'm also not trying to say that this card or some list of six key Bible verses or uh, some more spiritual law is like the formula that uh, we need to follow. And if we don't go in that special order, that um, that, 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 that doesn't count, and we're, or we're not declaring the gospel or something like that. And so there's, there's so, it's so easy for us to misunderstand what it means to share good news. And so I just want to be clear, I'm not saying any of those things. Please don't misunderstand me. But what I am saying this morning is I am saying that declaring the gospel is the only rational response to receiving Jesus. If we have received him as the Lord, if we know who he is, if we really get what he has done for us and what he is doing in the world, if we have caught even a glimpse or a drop or just a, a, a mere taste of his goodness, if we've seen him or understood him at all, and how good and how glorious and how wonderful and how, how healing, how relieving, what a, what, a, what a relief to know Christ, to know his love, to know his salvation, if we have any sense of really understanding what it is he has done for us and who he is, then the only, the only reasonable and rational response is to want to share that with every single person so that everyone can know just how deeply they're loved, how deeply they are saved, how deeply they are cherished by the Father and the creator of heaven and earth and how he is inviting every person to participate in that saving work of all of creation. This is the best thing that has ever happened. And it is the only rational response, if we have any understanding of what is really going on, is to want to share that with other people. And if we are finding resistance to sharing that with other people, then we have no idea what it is. We have lost our way, and we have forgotten what the gospel means. We've got to get clear, and we've got to receive it again. 
if we are finding resistance within ourselves to not want to share who Jesus is and what he's done for us, then we have forgotten or we've gotten confused or something is twisted. The only rational response to understanding the gospel is to want to share it. And it is key to our life in Jesus. It is a core practice of a disciple. And so maybe a good place for some of us to start, if we're experiencing that resistance, if we're experiencing that, that resistance, if we're experiencing confusion or frustration or we're finding ourselves not doing the things that we say we value, not living according to what we say we believe, then maybe a good thing to ask is, do I know what the gospel is? Do I know what the good news about Jesus Christ is? Do I understand what Jesus has done for me and who he is. To be fair, it can be a bit complex because it applies to all of life, right? This has implications at the personal and the global level. But I think it might be a good place to start that one way that many people have understood, maybe like the shortest phrase if we were to translate it into English about what the gospel is, it's this idea that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over all creation. He is Lord and Savior of my soul. He has the authority to declare me righteous before God, and he is. He has the authority to redeem me and welcome me into his kingdom. He has the authority to command me to go to the ends of the earth and to declare his goodness and his grace and to bring with me his authority to heal and to save, and to redeem, and to release the oppressed, and to smash the wicked, demonic systems of this world. Jesus is Lord. And I think that it's good for us to reflect on both the personal and the global implications of this. Later on today, I scheduled the post to kind of post automatically after I preach this, because Rich Nathan really goes into a lot of depth in this idea and, and, and much better, and I've completely stolen this slide. I did a screenshot of his talk. You can see the little logo in the right-hand corner. I, I stole this because it's just so freaking brilliant. Uh, but uh, the gospel of the kingdom, it really has two, at least two essential components. One is one that maybe if we grew up in an evangelical circle we've probably heard before. And, and it's very central to our worship and to what we're doing here with communion and the confession of sin and receiving forgiveness, all that. It's, this, it's the forgiveness of sins, right? That God has sent Jesus to die on the cross and for reasons that, I'll be honest, I don't completely understand, that through his sacrifice as the Passover lamb, he has won for us victory over sin and death, and we are made right with God through his sacrifice on our behalf. That Jesus Christ has died to make us right with God and to, to take all of the, the gunk and the, the, the messiness and the just twistedness in my soul and to tear that out and to replace it with his goodness and his love and to love me and to welcome me into his kingdom and into a right relationship with a holy God who is holier 
than anything I can imagine, who is other. The creative force that spoke the universe into existence is now available to me and through me because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's a deeply personal gospel. And let me just say this. When I say forgiveness of sins, that word sin, you know, I think sometimes as Christians we think of sin as like, oops, I said a naughty word. Or like I sped a little bit on my way to work this morning. Or, you know, like I broke some silly rule. That's not really what I'm talking about when I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about like I prioritize myself over the needs of my family. I abandon or ignore my children in order to pursue the things that I desire. I'm cruel to people. I judge people. I hate people and I act on it. I'm talking about real sin. That stuff that you look in the mirror and you think, how am I ever going to recover from doing that? Here's the good news of the gospel. God forgives you of those things. God forgives you of the things that you're actually ashamed about. And maybe you should be a little bit. God forgives you for the things that you're actually guilty of. God forgives you of hate and malice and scorn and laziness and apathy to the poor and not caring and not loving. God forgives you of your real sins. There's relief in that. When I'm feeling like I just don't measure up and I tried my best and I still let everyone down and I still didn't be the man that I want to be, he loves me and he forgives me and he has grace for me. That's the gospel. That's the good news. There's relief. There's joy in that. There's real forgiveness and redemption for the actual sins that we've actually committed. And that's a very necessary thing. It's also much bigger than that, and it's much bigger than us. And times the gospel is only that. It's only this deeply personal, pious thing between me and God. And so it doesn't matter how I treat my neighbor. It doesn't matter how I vote. It doesn't matter if I don't care about the unjust power structures of the world. I don't really have any control over those things anyway. It doesn't matter if I don't uh, if I don't confront plague, if I don't confront famine, war, and conquest, which are the four horsemen of the apocalypse and also the thing that every single evil empire is built on, if my gospel doesn't confront those things, then it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is deeply personal and extremely broad in its reach and its implications. It applies to all of life. God is in the business of not only restoring me in right relationship to him, but all of creation. Every single person, every single culture, every single human institution, and even the creation itself. God is at work redeeming and restoring us to that Eden life, to that kingdom come on earth. As it is in heaven, it will be on earth again, and God is at work restoring all things. And it has begun, the good news is that it has begun through the work of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection on, from his death on the cross. And God is at work in all of creation. And 
I think that this has actually become a bit more of a popular message than it used to be, and I'm so glad. I'm excited to see that the social implications and the public implications and the global, uh, worldwide, broad implications of the gospel are being embraced and celebrated by larger swaths of the church than maybe they were when I was a kid. I think that's a really good thing, but I think that sometimes some presentations of the gospel leave out the forgiveness of sins. Talking about the forgiveness of sins has become unpopular in theological circles, and particularly theological circles that embrace that broader vision of kingdom work. And so let me say this really clearly. Jesus Christ is Lord. The Democrats are not. Jesus Christ is Lord. The Republicans are not. Jesus Christ is Lord. Caesar is not. And the Caesar of Russia, I mean the president of Russia, is not. And the president of Ukraine is not. And the president of the United States is not. Jesus Christ is Lord. And our Savior, he's both our personal Savior and the Lord of all creation. And it is important for us to understand both the deeply personal and the global implications of that good news and make sure that we're sharing it. Second, I think maybe some of us need to ask the question, am I willing to be bad at this? That's supposed to get a laugh, but I don't know. <laughs> am I willing to be bad at declaring. And I think this is actually a pretty important question. Maybe I'm only preaching to myself here. Like, I'm an A student, okay? Like, I, I succeed at things. And I succeed at things, at least when I was growing up at, in, in the school system, I would often succeed at uh, the, the assignments that were given to me with little or no effort. It was, it was, it was a breeze for me. And I, I know that's not everyone's experience, but it was my experience. And that, that experience has shaped me in a way so that uh, when I got into adult life and I had to do things that were a lot more difficult than algebra, um, I have sometimes had like a severe uh, crisis. I don't know how to struggle. Uh, I don't know how to be bad at things and submit myself to a process of learning in order to become good at them. And I think that maybe some of us might be in the same boat. You know, what, if I'm going to declare the gospel, then it should be really easy, right? Like it should be it should be without struggle. I should be good at it automatically. I'm trying to do a good thing. Good things should be easy, shouldn't they? Like, shouldn't serving the poor be the easiest thing in the world? Because it's the right thing to do. The right thing to do should be the easy thing to do. If it's right, then it will be painless. It will be smooth. It won't come with struggle or the need to learn or the need to kind of stink at it for a little while before I'm good at it. That's a pretty, pretty big assumption. And so when I'm saying, maybe we need to ask, am I willing to be bad at declaring? I'm asking, are we willing to learn? Are we willing to struggle with this? Are we willing to understand? Because what's probably likely, if I am me, and Jesus is who Jesus is, I might have some difficulty representing him accurately. That, that might be true. I think that's probably true. I'm probably going to 
struggle with that sometimes. I'm probably not going to bat a thousand. I'm probably going to swing a lot and miss a few times. And the struggle has to be okay. The struggle has to be all right. It has to be okay to be bad at this. The other thing I would say in asking this question, maybe the other reason I'm asking this question, am I willing to be bad at declaring? And please, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying try to be bad at declaring. Come on, give me a break. Like, try to be as good as you can. Like, come on. I'm not saying, like, embrace mediocrity. Like, that's not what I'm saying here, right? Like, I gotta be, but I got to be willing to learn. Like, I'm probably going to try some things. And the other side of it is this. You know, am I willing to stick with it when I'm rejected? Am I willing to follow Jesus in saying exactly what he's saying and doing exactly what he's doing in having faith and being loving and being caring and being kind and saying things that are true according to the scriptures and saying things that I actually live out and that I'm, I'm doing, let's say I do it 100% right. Probably not going to happen, but let's just say that maybe I did. Maybe I did it everything 100% totally right as I was declaring the gospel to other people. Some people are still going to reject it. That's what it means to follow Jesus. If we follow Jesus, we will sometimes be rejected for following Jesus, even if we do it 100% right. Are we willing to stick with it when it's hard and to walk with Jesus, to carry our cross with him, to be misunderstood with him, and to follow him on the path that he has laid out for us so that he can spend our life however he sees fit? I think that's an important question for us to consider. And then one final thing I would say about declaring that I think we as a community need to consider is are we willing to forgive the people who declare badly? I think this one's really important. Because my guess is, my guess is, is if you live in Springfield, Missouri, you might have experienced someone declaring badly. I'm just, I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm guessing maybe you've been in an awkward conversation with a Christian who you feel may have represented Christ inaccurately who may have said something that was just weird or maybe dramatically untrue or uh, just offensive. Maybe you've had that experience. I know I have. Um, here's something else that's true. Uh, maybe I've done that too, right? Maybe I have been bad at this. Maybe there have been some times when I didn't declare accurately and I, I really messed it up. I was trying to do a good thing, but I, I misunderstood the message. I misunderstood who Jesus was. I said things in an untrue way. I said it with the wrong tone of voice. I, I didn't have the right motivation or I said just something goofy or I overdid it. Am I willing to forgive the people who declare badly? I think this is important for us as a church because we have to do this work of forgiveness, and the forgiveness of sins really is at the center of the gospel. It really is the heart and the soul and the core 
of the gospel message. And if we fail to forgive the people who are declaring badly, one of two things will happen. One, if we fail to do the work of recognizing that they did actually declare it badly, if we don't compare our experience of someone trying to evangelize us, or maybe even our own experience of coming to Christ, uh, being led there by imperfect people who misrepresented him, if we don't do the work of recognizing the ways in which those people were just human beings and they were inaccurate, if we don't do the work of saying, yeah, they, they missed it, they didn't do it right, uh, if we don't do that work and recognize that it was wrong, something about their approach to the gospel was wrong, if we don't do that work of recognizing it was wrong and saying it was wrong, naming it as wrong and saying, yes, that's not true, if we don't do that work, then we will just continue to perpetuate those untruths. That we'll just continue to do the same thing. If we just accept garbage in with the gospel, then we will give garbage away with the gospel and we'll misrepresent Jesus, we'll blaspheme. It's, that's not good, right? We don't want to do that. That's not something that we want to do. But I think maybe this second problem of not forgiving might be a little bit more where some of us are at. Uh, I think some of us maybe have te been tempted to take a vow and say, well, I'm never going to be like those people. I'm never going to do that. Whatever that is, I will never do that to another person ever again. And that those vows that we've taken, that arrogant pride, that, that hang-up that we have about being hurt by people misrepresenting Jesus, we've got some hurt there, and we haven't forgiven those people for that thing, and that is making us gun-shy about sharing the gospel. Maybe I'm just talking to myself this morning. Maybe I'm just talking about my own experience. But I know that I've judged people who are a lot more free with their expectations to follow Jesus than myself. I know that I have judged people for doing it inaccurately. I've been like those Pharisees who say, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke those people who are doing it wrong. They don't understand what's going on. They're inaccurate in their theology. What's really ironic is that the Pharisees were kind of right, right? right? Like, the, they, they, those, like that's what's really ironic, right? Like the people want Jesus to be something he's not, and they're excited about him being something he's not. They don't understand him while they declare his glory and his goodness. But Jesus defends them, and he says, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. God will be made known to and by imperfect people. And here's the thing. If we don't declare, somebody else will. So we can declare with our mistakes and our problems, or somebody else will with their mistakes and their problems. Forgiveness of sins is at the core of the gospel message. We have to forgive. We have to recognize the ways that we've been hurt by people who've misrepresented Jesus, and we have to forgive them. You know what's probably true? What's probably true is that they were trying their best. That's probably true. What might be true sometimes is that they were really in it for bad reasons. They were really trying to manipulate us, and they really were blaspheming the gospel by saying something untrue to control us or manipulate us or hurt us or something like that. That might be true sometimes. But whichever one of those is true about our experience, the only way forward is to let Jesus judge those people.
And if we don't let Jesus judge those people, then we're just going to be torn up inside and we're not going to receive the gospel. We're not going to receive the, the healing that he wants to give us and we won't have anything to give away. And we'll be hung up and we'll be stuck and we won't share the good news. And that's a tragedy that I just don't want. We want the kingdom to come. And so it's right now that I want to invite us to experience that healing and forgiveness. Would you stand? I'm going to be getting prayer this morning. I need to repent to you. I've judged people too harshly. I have not forgiven people who have represented the gospel poorly. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to stand up here. And I'm going to try to do some business with God about that this morning. And if you want to pray for me, I guess you can come up and put your hand on my shoulder and pray for me. Hey, maybe something else hit in this sermon. Something, I, I said a lot of things. Um, if you haven't been up for prayer for a while, uh, I would just say come, come get prayer this morning, right? Uh, if there's something, that, somebody that you need to forgive, if there's something going on, you, you just realize, man, yeah, I'm not living according to my values. I, I need to work some of this stuff out. I need God's grace. I need a fresh touch. I need to experience the gospel again. Come forward. God will do something in your heart. But let's not leave this morning without experiencing the goodness of God. Let's not leave this morning without experiencing all that he has to give us and the joy that will result when we receive that. So please, come forward and get prayer. Also, if you know how to pray and you see the Lord working on somebody, would you just feel free to go ahead and approach them, tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, can I pray for you? If they say no, you have to, let, you have to respect that. But, but, uh, but let's, let's have freedom to pray for each other and let's experience God together now. Come Holy Spirit.